Welcome to the Defend the North podcast. I'm your co-host, Dana Eisfeld. I'm joined today by a friend of mine, John Alexander, who goes by Alex. Cousin Isaac recently got a promotion at work. He moved this summer. He's been out of the state a couple of times this last month. So he's on a short break from the pod, and we brought in Alex as our guest. And Alex, that means that you're coming out of the bullpen. So I'm hoping more Taylor Rogers and less Alex Colome. Yeah, I'm not even sure I want to be Taylor Rogers. I was thinking maybe I could be the Scott Wedman of the post, but that might be before your time. So I'll just say I'm the Frank Kaminsky of the pod. Ah, Frank Kaminsky brought in some important minutes for those sons in game six, though, especially offensively. Got a couple of big buckets to tie them over. Yeah. So, Yeah, he did. Um, and, and it was interesting that they were even talking about him during the thing when everything had been, you know, Chris Paul and, and Devin Booker, the, the whole rest of the uh, the uh, broadcast. But Scott Wedman was a guy that was sort of Larry Bird's backup in the uh, in the 80s and came in and gave him some great minutes in a couple of different games uh, in the 80s, one of the 80s finals. I can't remember if it was 84 or 86. But. So how do you feel about giving us a couple of great minutes in, in today's podcast? I will do my best, but uh, I, I'm just hoping I'm better than Aaron Rodgers on Jeopardy. <laughs> I thought I think Aaron Rodgers on Jeopardy. He he thought he might have had a. That might be why he's holding out from the Packers. He's waiting for um for the game show to make him a better offer than the one he got from the the uh, Packers. By the way, which would have extended him two more years, so five more years with Green Bay, and would have made him the highest paid player um, in the NFL. And and it sounds to me like he he wants to find new pastures. Yeah, I think uh, just like Aaron Rodgers, I'm not going to quit my day job, and I don't think he should either because I thought Mayim Bialik was way better than him on Jeopardy. Well, today we wanted to introduce you a bit to our audience, Alex, and I thought what we could do is ask you a couple of questions about Minnesota sports. So which sports teams do you follow in the state? I follow all of them except the NHL. Um and and I, that's pretty much all I follow these days. When I was younger, I used to follow, you know, a lot more. But outside of March Madness and and a little bit of the playoffs and the NBA and, and the NFL, um, I pretty much just follow my teams. And when they're done, I move on to the next season. So um, and that includes I, I think we're going to talk about the links later on um, that I've, I followed them really since Lindsay moved back to Minnesota. Yeah, yeah, me too. The, the, that run, and we'll talk about that later on, that the links had between 2011 and 18 was pretty special, especially considering that our four men's major sports have now gone and combined 111 sporting seasons without a championship, and they brought home the hardware four times in six years. So um, you literally do watch everything, and you even watch sports that have nothing to do with Minnesota. So I appreciate that about you. Past or present, who's your favorite Minnesota athlete? I mentioned it already. I think Lindsey Whalen. Um, and it's partly because uh, our buddy Chris used to work with her as a, an usher at the Metrodome. And, and he said she's exactly like what she seems. She's just one of us. She's just, you know, really humble and yet brings it on the court. One of my favorite moments, she just leveled Diana Taurasi. Uh, and she looked like the hockey player that she was growing up. And Taurasi's laying on the floor going, hey, what the hell? You know, and I was just like, that was just perfect. You know, every once in a while, we just got to let the passive aggressive go, you know, and just bring it. Um, beyond that, you know, it's Kirby Puckett. It's back to Fran Tarkenton. 
you know, those are probably the big sports. Neil Broughton, back when we used to have a hockey team. Oh, wait, we do have one, I guess. I am on a crusade. I think that if, if we can get you to tune in to a couple of Minnesota Wild games, I know that you have this um, this commitment to never watching the game, them again. Yeah, I, I was at one of the last North Stars games here. My mom's um, company, they had season tickets, 15 rows just off the red line. Uh, I was really spoiled. And we went to um, the, la- the last game against the Blackhawks before they lost in the, in the finals. I think it was Pittsburgh. Um, and, and best hockey fight I ever saw and just a great series. Um, it was, it, you know, I was, I'm part of there. There's a faction of us that just said, you know, you move their team out of Minnesota and we're never going to watch again. And I haven't ever watched it again. And I appreciate the loyalty to that sentiment, Alex. And it's also been almost 20 years. And sometimes there's something to be said about forgiveness. True. <laughs> uh, I, I have, I have volunteered this if they change the name back to the north stars i will start watching them again what about if you were offered a free ticket 15 rows up at the excel energy center yeah i'm pretty sure that's not going to do it all right we'll keep that in mind all right next question and the last question before we move on to our segments today what's your favorite moment as a minnesota sports fan Ooh, that's pretty easy i was at game 7 1991 world series really i mean i think everybody remembers larkin hitting that. Um, the amazing thing to me was nobody warmed up for the 11th. So, you know, Morris would, would, would have pitched the 11th. Yeah. I, you know, it was still already an incredible, you know, 10th inning, but nobody was coming in for the 11th. So, so which inning, if that had been Baldelli at the helm, do you think his iPad would have told him to pull Morris? <laughs> I'm going to say, I think he got into trouble like the fifth or sixth inning and, and, no, he would have left him in for that and not pulled him when he was in trouble and waited and then brought somebody in after he'd already blown the lead. So, Sorry, Jack. We're just going to need to take you out here real quick. <laughs> I, I can't even imagine. Morris would have just punched him. I, I got to say, I, I was thinking that today as I was um, anticipating what you might say. That's also my probably my favorite moment was the night before. I mean, closing it out in Game 7, like – you know, you can't do better than that. But the game six heroics of Kirby Puckett and what that catch up against the plexiglass and the home run, and the call, you know, we'll see you tomorrow night. Like I was a 10 year old kid at the time, almost 11. And uh, by the way, I was I that Halloween, which was the Halloween of, of um, was the, you know, the famous Halloween storm of 91. Guess what I went as as a 10 year old boy, just it, considering my contrarian personality. Oh, so so not Kirby Puckett. Um, Ninety one. Um, gosh, I went. As I don't a, know. I went as an Atlanta Brave fan. Oh, <laughs> and, and I did. I, I did that. Oh, did, did you get any candy at all? <laughs> and that's no storm because there were so few kids out that were brave enough to you know. Ninety one. You know, my cousin always talks about you know his experience and not ever having. Was he alive? No, he wasn't quite even alive yet. Just they just and your sons haven't seen a championship. I mean, out in the major four men's sports, right? right. Yeah, my son Ben, uh, he's twenty three. He's pretty convinced he's never going to see anything. And he was really, he really wanted to go to get game six um, in Milwaukee. Um, his girlfriend's from Eau Claire. It's like you know they were just like we got to go no matter what it costs because we're never going to see one in Minnesota. And I was like, no. 
I, I feel good. I feel like we're going to get one at least in your lifetime, that this is not going to be the 108-year wait like the Chicago Cubs fans had. Well, that says something about the state of Minnesota sports fandom. If like the youngest generation of Minnesota sports fans are considering going to Wisconsin to attend a closeout game in the NBA Finals for their team. I don't care if his girlfriend's from Wisconsin, Eau Claire. If she were from Milwaukee, I'd say, okay, maybe. Because Eau Claire's on the border. She's pretty much from Minnesota. And ben, no. You just don't do that. You just don't do that. I thought I raised him better than that. Like, if you've seen those commercials for NFL families where their kids move away and suddenly they're like Steelers fans, no, that just should never happen. I don't care. You know, you've got to stick with your team. I don't, you know, you move to Denver, sorry, you better be a Vikings fan. I better not catch you wearing orange, you know. Well, you were alive in the 70s for those Vikings Super Bowl losses and also those Vikings playoff losses against the Dallas Cowboys. And you lived through that and stuck with the team, and they still haven't won since then. So, I think there's really just one. Um, and if you ask me what my worst moment is, it's December 28th, 1975, when Drew Pearson pushed off. Um, and I think we all know that that was should be the name of the play, not you know the Hail Mary play. I was I was at 12 years old. I was living overseas, and once a week we could go um, to the international school, and they would have the NFL film highlights. And my friends were Cowboys fans. You know, this was just a no brainer. We were going to crush them, go on, re, you know, play Pittsburgh again in the Super Bowl, and we were going to beat them this time. And it was just devastating because they they were you know they were happy for their team, but it just you know it just ate me up. And uh, probably 15 years later, Dan Barrero wrote an article about not if you hate the Cowboys, but how much do you hate the Cowboys? Are you willing to teach your children to hate the Cowboys? And yes, both of my children hate the Cowboys. So, you know, yeah, I can hang on to a grudge a long time. Yeah, so it seems. Um, I'll, I'll be sure never to cross you. Yeah, be careful. <laughs> Well, I, I'm not a big fan of the Cowboys either, except in my formative years, they won three Super Bowls in four years with, you know, the Aikman, Emmett Smith, and Michael Irvin trio. So I don't have the memories of the 70s that you do, but I do appreciate you pushing through and continuing to pull exclusively for the purple and gold. And Ben, listen up. Like, this is the way it's done. It might be your old man, but he's on to something. That's so, right. All right, audience. We know what he listens to and what he watches. We know his favorite moments. We know his best moment and his worst moment as a Minnesota sports fan. Let's talk about some Minnesota sports this year. Um, today, Alex, we were going to start with the Twins. I texted you and said, let's zag a little bit. And like, what's gone right for the Twins this year? And you said, that might be a pretty short segment. <laughs> Good advice. Because once I got into like building my outline and doing my research... I was uh, grasping at straws, but there are some good things. And I wanted to um, start off our conversation by framing it in this context. I'm going to throw some numbers at you and let you kind of take it where you want to. So I, I, our, um, our offense, 12th in the league in runs, we're 28th in runs allowed. 13th in batting average, we're 27th in batting average allowed. We're third in home runs, we're 30th in home runs allowed. We're 10th in hits, and we're 25th in hits allowed. Yeah, the pitching staff honestly couldn't be worse. I mean, I feel like outside of Barrios and just when you say his name, he gives up the, the three-run homer the other night, or was it afternoon? I can't remember. But um, but it's like, you know, he was on fire. You say Taylor Rogers, he was doing great, and then he gives up the grand slam the other day. It's just 
every time you think, oh, this one's in the bag, I have to turn it off. I can't watch it anymore. Um, <laughs> I, I felt like it was me early in the season, and I'm not taking the blame anymore. Um, yeah, you held out a little, like, about a month longer, I think, than Cousin Isaac, who, who pretty much made the exact same comment about a month ago. Just, like... And here's the great thing, though, like with Minnesota United, I know you're not a big soccer fan. And now that, you know, the Minnesota Lynx are playing well, at least we've got a substitute, you know, for a season that has gone down the drain. And I don't know if Minnesota fandom as a collective unit is as disappointed as we should be about expectations versus what we have done this year. I mean, it's been we were and we talked Isaac and I talked a little bit about this, but um is it just the bullpen? Is it just the starting pitching? Is that's all that's wrong with his team? Uh, yeah, I'm not a huge Rocco guy. I, I don't think he handles the pitching staff very well. And I know, you know, analytics have their place in the game today, and I'm not completely discounting that. But there's times when you just know that a pitcher's got it and when they don't. And he just doesn't seem to have a sense of that. And, I, and if I'm sitting at home watching it and thinking – you know, why are you pulling this guy out? He's been lights out, you know. Maybe you could leave him in even just one more batter, but he seems to either yank him too soon or leave him in for, you know, three or four batters past when you should have pulled him. And I just I just don't get it. Well, if this is the future of AI running our world, and this is what we can expect in business, we're going to have some pretty sh- <laughs> crappy run companies. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully there's places for mid-level managers and, and CEOs. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, I just, you know, I, I hear things out in the world, um, you know, that, that AI is going to take over like accounting, for example. Um, and it, let's just hope it does a better job than it does, you know, in terms of pitching stats. But, you know, even with accounting, there's a lot of human decisions that have to be made. Like, what, what, what am I looking at and how do I interpret it and what do I present to my manager, to my team, right? So I don't think it's going to be as easy. Some of like the real but then again, I don't really understand what AI has the capability for in twenty to forty years. What I know is if the twins are relying on AR to manage or AI to manage this team, it's not going well. <laughs> yeah, clearly it's not going well. Injuries. I, I one thing that we you know in our last conversation, you brought this up like you know it, it it's the pitching, and we know it's the pitching, and to an extent, it's also the managing. Do you think injuries have had an impact on this team being fourteen games under five hundred? And 17 games behind the Chicago White Sox. By the way, we're not in the cellar. So we are in fourth place ahead of the D- Detroit Tigers. Yeah. And if we could just play the Tigers the rest of the way, I feel like we might have a shot at a wild card. Yeah. You know, we did talk about that. And you sent me that graphic that was, it surprised me. But because uh, it seems like the, the year has been worse than it has been, that there are teams that are much worse off in terms of injuries than we have. But, um, but I think. We're just, we had no mar- margin for error, particularly with the, the bullpen. I mean, we had the three guys that we thought would be solid. You pick up Colome, who had a lights out year last year, and just they all seemed to be having down years. And you just, I mean, early on, I think we had lost our first eight extra inning games in the season. Um, you know, I don't know how many blown saves Colome had early, but then it, it seemed like the whole team caught it. Um, and they just blew game after game after game and sometimes big losses. Um, I was, it's, it felt like Ron Davis from the eighties. Um, if you don't remember him, he was a great pitcher that we traded for, um, was a great, uh, setup guy in for the Yankees. I think held the record for like eight strikeouts in a row at one point and then came here and just gave up 
dinger after dinger in late games and just at the worst times. And if you looked at his stats, you'd say he was a pretty decent pitcher, but you know, he just broke so many players, so many fans' hearts that you just had to, it's like, we got to try something else. Yeah, I think, you know, losing those first eight inning extra or eight extra inning innings, and then we lost a couple in the ninth inning too, come from behind losses. And, you know, the, the managing in those was really suspect. And I, I do kind of wonder in April and May, like this pitching staff in particular, as you're saying, had no margin for error. And then the tone was also set early, very early on. Like we just, we, we, we couldn't buy a break, you know, if we asked for one. And, and that, that's kind of been like what the year has been like ever since. So, you know, um, as we're looking at July now, and we are just what nine days away from the trade deadline. And so there's been a lot of buzz about guys that might go and, you know, when they say, you know, it could be Cruz, I'm like, yep, that makes sense. It could be Andrelton Simmons. I'm like, yep, that makes sense. They say it could be Donaldson. I'm like, yeah, that could make sense. And then they say they're actively shopping Burrios and Buxton. And then I stop and think, what are your thoughts on the, the, the twins in 2022? Can we contend? And if we think we can, how does that affect what we do in the next nine days? I Everything I'm hearing says the Twins think they can contend next year. So then you can't sell Barrios and Buxton. You just can't. I don't think you can you can trade um, Nelson either, Nelson Cruz. I think he's he's the guy in the clubhouse, and he's 41 and still he's he's our best hitter. You know, I mean, game in and game out, Buxton's had had a great you know 28 games or whatever he's right. played this year. Um, but Nelson Cruz is our best, he's our best hitter. And I just think you got to keep him around. You know, Simmons is a one year guy. If you can trade Donaldson's contract, you know, go for it. It seems like he's finally coming around this year, but he's injury prone. So let the Mets take him. Um, but I just don't think you can trade Burrios and Buxton. But, you know, the strip today, they were talking about that. And I think, or maybe on the athletic, they were talking about you should trade him because you just can't afford him. You can't afford to miss, you know, on a, on a guy, a 20 to $30 million player. You know, we saw what happened with Joe Maurer, you know? So let's, let's split them apart. Let's start with Buxton. So Buxton has missed 61% of the field time since the beginning of 2018. The twins did offer him either a six or seven year deal for $70 million guaranteed with a bunch of escalators about, um, you know, play games played and then statistics and, you know, I read an article that said, you know, for a guy of his talent, five years, a hundred million dollars wouldn't be an overpay, but he's missed 61% of the games. And so it seems fair to me that the twins would say like, we believe in you, but you need to be on the field. But don't you think there's somebody out there that, you know, if he doesn't get the contract that he wants from Minnesota, he's going to be gone after the end of next year anyway. Oh, I told, I think absolutely. So I, you know, they put that out there, and to me, that seems reasonable. But you know, the Yankees or you know somebody's going to come calling, um, and because they can afford to miss, you know, we we can't. And so to pay him, you know, the money that he's, he's probably earned, you know, I don't understand win against replacement or whatever. But they say a, a one point of that is worth eight million dollars in salary, and he's like a a two, and sometimes a three, and sometimes a four. And that's, and it doesn't, you don't build on that number when you're out. So, you know, he's actually already worth $15 million and we're paying him, I don't know, three or four maybe. 
So on to Barrios then, you know, we've talked about him and it sounded, to, it sounded to me like the twins would probably be willing to offer him, um, 15 to $18 million in free agency. The big question, as Isaac has noticed, is does he want to sign? Right. And I got to thinking like, okay, we always talk about him as, He's not an ace, but he's a really good starting pitcher. That's kind of so. I, I wanted to dig into the numbers a bit, and and I'm going to throw a couple more numbers at you. So he's 23rd in the league in strikeouts. He's in the entire league, and so this might be you know some of these stats are a little bit skewed because the National League always has you know better ERA without the DH. He's 36 in ERA. He's 14th in innings pitched, which you know we know that about Barrios. Um, he's 21st in batting average against, and he's tied for 28th in win loss percentage. So on average, it's like a 24 to 25th best pitcher in the league. His, you know, current pitchers, Kyle Hendricks, Danny Duffy are the 23rd and the 25th highest paid pitchers in baseball, and they make 15.5 and 14 million respectively. So, you know, granted, like they're on contracts that they've probably been in for a couple of years. So you're paying a little bit for what you expect to get from him in the few years. So tack on a few million, right? And you'd think 16, 17, 18, because he's a young guy and, it, it it sounds to me like he wants to test free agency because he thinks he can get 22, 23. Yeah, I'm hearing the same thing. Um, and it sounded like there might be an agent talking in his ear saying you can get more. But but I'm hearing it directly out of his mouth, too, saying I worked this hard. I've been underpaid for six years. I, you know, I want to see what I can get. Um, and so I, I don't see I don't think he's going to sign. And if he's. You know, wait till free agency. We're not going to be the highest bidder. I just don't think that's going to happen. But if we trade Barrios, I think it's a clear signal to the fan base that with a starting rotation already in disarray, and then you 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 chop the head off the snake, and we're talking about contending next year. That's a load of bullshit. Yeah, no, we're not contending if they trade Barrios and and or Buxton. Frankly, I don't know about Buxton. If he misses that many games, we're already kind of doing it without him. Well, that's true. But I, I think it's a message that these guys are going to get more than we can afford. And so it, I think we go back to rebuild. I think then they dump all the high-priced guys and bring up the kids, and, and it's 1982 all over again. <laughs> well, I, I heard the Mets came sniffing for Barrios, and what we wanted was um, some a current major league player on the roster that's pre-arbitration and two top 100 prospects, and the Mets said no. What's interesting is that we won't give him the money – that he feels he deserves, you know, 20 to 22 million. On the flip side, our asking price is signaling that we think he's that good of a pitcher. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, 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 I agree. I, but that's, that's life in the mid market, right? You know, so I just, I, it, it's tough because as a CEO, like I can see those things as a fan, I'm like, just pay him the money. You know, I don't care about your, you know, your, your dollars, you know, pull that family. So, well, I know one thing, the poll ads aren't in, you know, they aren't claiming unemployment. <laughs> no, they're not. And, and it's hard to, I mean, I think we've been pretty much in the middle for the last I don't, 10 years in terms of salary. So it's not like, it's not, we're not the Houston Astros before they went on their run where they, you know, they had a, what, 10, $15 million payroll across, you know, their, their whole team. So, you know, we, we're paying some guys, you know. If, if they're going to dump their two best young players, you're not getting the haul that you get back, that we got back for Frank Viola or, um, you know, Chuck Knobloch, where you could almost instantly rebuild your team. You know, one major leaguer and two minor leaguers just doesn't seem like a haul to me. And, and they said no, the team that we offered it to, right? So they felt that that was already too much. 
And as a fan of a guy that is the 25th best player pitcher in baseball, which by the way, if there are 30 teams, that does technically qualify him as a number one starter, if not an ace. Right. And I, I think I may have read the same article as you where he compared where he's at to Max Scherzer. And if you knew that's what you were going to get in five years, then, you know, I, I think that's who he thinks he is. How many times am I going to have to hear Max Scherzer's name on this podcast when we talk about Jose Barrios? It's just like, you know, when Isaac talks about Miguel Sano and um, uh, who left for Boston. Uh, uh, yeah, David Ortiz. David Ortiz, yeah. It's like every yeah. time I bring Nobody- yeah, nobody wanted David Ortiz. Let's just be clear. Nobody. Well, nobody wants Miguel Sano either. Let's just be clear. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's let's wrap up the Twins. I tried to keep this positive. It hasn't gone off the rails uh, negatively yet, but I feel like we're, we're we're kind of balancing that tension. I'm going to um, tell you, six of the Twins' top 40 prospects coming into the season have exhausted their prospect status by reaching 130 at-bats. Or 50 innings as major leaguers. Alex Kirilov, who unfortunately is out for the season with his wrist injury um, and the pending surgery. Um, Trevor Larnick, Ryan Jeffers, Jorge Alcala, um, Lewis Thorpe, and Cody Stashik. So if we get rid of these, you know, two guys that are relatively young, say Buxton and Brios, which I think then signals a true fire sale. It wouldn't just be those two guys. It would be a bunch of the veterans. Do you think, you know, next year then would clearly be a rebuild? Um, do we have the core talent? I, I think we have enough position players to be competitive offensively. But what does that mean for, like, are we going to win 60 games? Yeah, we might. You know, <laughs> I was having a, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine a couple of years ago and he's huge, you know, analytical guy. And he said, wait, is your friend Rocco Baldelli? It is not. <laughs> um, my good friend Jeff Vogel, he, uh, he thinks that you have to just go that way, that you just go and you get rid of everybody and you, you just hope to get lucky with a whole bunch of young players that, that if, unless you're the Yankees or the Red Sox, um, or the, or the Angels, that you just, that's the way you have to go because it works. Especially in the mid market or small markets, right? There's no margin for error. So if you've reached your, if you've reached your crescendo and you're on the back end of it. Yeah. I, and, and again, you know, we seem pretty well stocked with, with position players, but, you know, none of the guys you named as pitchers have really lit it up yet. Two of them aren't in the majors. Alcala is, right? He's the flamethrower. Right. That sometimes is great and sometimes not. And, and you're going to expect that from a young pitcher, right? Nobody expects him to be perfect, but the rest of the guys haven't really spent that much time here. And then you start talking about some of the other guys. Randy Dobnak, we thought, you know, might at least be serviceable. Devin Smeltzer, he has, he's been out, I think, all season. Um, there's, the cover's pretty bare when it comes to pitching. Am I the only guy that still thinks about Randy Dobnak pitching in Yankee Stadium in 2019? Uber, Uber. Uber. <laughs> uh, and it didn't seem to bother him. He said, I couldn't believe it took him that long. Yeah. And the Yankees swept us. (laughs) Yeah. Again. So, okay. Well, I think, you know, I I don't think we need to get into the prospects for the second half of the year. I think we're going to find out in the next nine days what this team feels about next year by what we do. So with that, Alex, I think we can take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about a team that is lighting it up. The Minnesota Lynx, who have won 12 of their last 15 games and seven in a row.
Okay, we're back, Alex. And after the twin segment, we wanted to talk about the Minnesota Lynx, a team that we've yet to bring up on the on the Defend the North podcast, but one that's having yet another good season. Um, last I saw before the Olympic break, they were 12-7. and seven. Um, They've won seven in a row, a couple of impressive wins in the last few weeks. And really, it's been the big difference maker has been Laisha Clarendon. What are your thoughts on her? Uh, yeah, on they, them. Um, her, their, pro, their pronouns are they. Um, so I'll try to try to get it right um, as an old guy that struggles. Right. She was featured on the ESPN cover last month as the first transgender transgender and non-binary um, athlete in the WNBA. Yeah, I think that turned around the season when when they brought them on. Um, and and yeah, Clarendon's been great. Moving, I didn't think anybody would replace uh, Crystal Dangerfield. She had such a great year last year. But Clarendon just came in, and, and her first game was just lighting it up. And I think, in particular, she throws great entry passes to Sylvia. Um, Sylvia Fowles, for those um, that don't know, the best center in the WNBA. Um, and, and I think that part of it has just really revitalized them. You know, it's been a couple years of rebuilding, and I think um, – you know, coach has done a great job of, of finding the right players that fit her system. It helps that she keeps, you know, drafting UConn players. I was explaining this to my wife that basically everyone in the WNBA and on the Olympic team is, you know, from UConn. So at least all the, Gino, Gino. <laughs> yeah. So it's, you know, I mean, kind of the end of that era, that, that run from 2011, their first title and, uh, through really 18. Um, you know, it was pretty amazing. And there should have been a couple of more titles in there, but every, every world, world championships and Olympics, half our team went off and played the whole time. Um, you know, well, in seven years, we made it to the final six times, won four of them. And the only year we didn't, we, we were eliminated, I believe in the Western conference final. So that's a heck of a run. And that tells you about, the consistency in leadership at the helm with Cheryl Reeve, starting with her, really. But, you know, Clarendon, and I, and I mentioned this to you in one of our um, recent conversations, she reminds me a lot of Lindsay Whalen. Like, she's just, I don't know why the New York Liberty cut her after one game. This is her fifth um, fifth team in nine WNBA seasons. And with everything I see of her on the court, maybe this is just a good fit with the right system, with the right coach and the right players around her. But she can create her own shot. She can, she throws great entry passes. She has a feel for the game, like when to push, when to pull back, when to get players involved. She's a point guard and she's a tough one, you know, and she's bigger. She's a little bigger too. And that helps. Yeah. She's definitely taller. She's a lot bigger than, than Crystal is. Um, cause I think Dangerfield gets pushed around a lot on the court and, and that's a problem. Um, and so Clarendon just comes in and she's like, you know, she can give it back. Um, and so I, and I just think for whatever reason, there's just a click here. I, I was trying to think of who I would compare her to this season. And it's kind of a case Keenum situation where somebody that nobody really wanted, um, and just came in and the right fit and, and it's just clicking. Um, and so if, if we end the season, you know, you think we're going to have a miracle in Minneapolis with, with, with Laisha? Um, I think they can get to the finals. I don't know if they can get past Seattle. I'd like to think so. I don't know if we play them again before the end of the year. We lost two games to them early. Um, 
you know, before we really had our whole team together and before we brought in Clarendon. So it'll be interesting to see when we get to the playoffs. I think we're, I think we're at least the second best team. Those first four losses just have killed our record, but, but I think we're third overall in the league right now behind Vegas and, and Seattle. Um, yeah. Third in the West, fourth overall. And we'll see what happens with Vegas. Um, their best players having a meltdown right now. So she was supposed to be on the, on the Australian Olympic team and basically they, she went home. Um, so we'll see what happens, but. And we beat them. We were by 10 and we're up by 20 in that game it was about 10 days ago. Yeah. I was shocked. It was like this, you know, I flipped in and it was like, what, we're up by 20. What, what happened? Um, yeah. and I think she was out for that game too, but. Well, I think in watching that game and then watching the game against, who did we finish out against? Um, Detroit? No. Um, uh, so Nafisa Collier, who's a 6-1 forward, she had her best game of the year. LA. We played the LA Sparks. LA. Yeah. Yeah. And she had a career high 27 points. And so I think your Case Keenum example is kind of spot on. Somebody that kind of comes in. Nobody wanted. She's sort of a cast off and she's just a really good fit for that group of, of, of players. And I think if we're going to get past Seattle, I mean, Seattle has Brianna Stewart. We're going to need somebody that's playing like Maya Moore. I'm not saying it's Maya Moore, although Nafisa Collier really could be Maya Moore because look at this. They are both from Jefferson City, Missouri. They both played at the University of Connecticut and they were both drafted by the Lynx. And they, you know, they, they, she kind of has a similar game. She's a walking 17 and seven and she's tough and can get shots down low. She can shoot from three. She can create her own shot. Um, she's only in her third year. What have you been most impressed with, with, um, with Collier? I think she's really solid. I'm not ready to compare her to Maya Moore just yet. Um, I think she's really better in the post than Maya is or was, um, let's say is, because I hope she comes back to play basketball someday selfishly. Um, but but she's not Maya on the perimeter. Um, Maya was a guard, really. Um, I think she was listed as a forward, but she could handle the ball. She could run off screen. She those, That was her game. And, and I don't know if there's ever been a more clutch player in the WNBA than Maya Moore. Right. It's a little sacrilege to compare to Maya Moore. My point is I think this team is going to need her to – you know, maybe be more of an approximation of Maya than like what we saw in those last few outings and scoring 27 against LA in particular from all over the court, you know, and she's only in her third year and she was recruited as an Olympian in large part because, I mean, she's a good player, but her young legs and like, you know, there's probably more to who she could become, but what this iteration of the links, um, I think what they have, they have more three point shooting. Then, like, you know, Simone Augustus could shoot the ball and Maya could certainly shoot the ball. But those teams were driven by the penetration from Lindsay, Rebecca Brunson or Sylvia Fowles in the post. And then, you know, uh, Simone and, and Maya, you know, making things happen on the perimeter. This team can shoot the ball from three really well. They can. Um, and, and those teams were not great three-point shooting teams. Um, you know, um, Simone was mid-range. I mean, crossover and break your ankles and, and hit a jumper at the, you know, at the elbow. Um, Maya was probably our best three point shooter. Um, but yeah, they have a ton of scoring. Um, they picked up, um, McBride. Oh yeah. I like her. Yeah. And she, she missed a few games early just still coming over from Europe. Um, and, and she's been playing better. I think she's more comfortable now in the system. I mean, they just seem like they're hitting their stride. But the game against, uh, Las Vegas, we jumped on their throats right and it was mostly i mean we made a few shots in the interior but it was it was shot making from the perimeter 
And so, and you still have Sylvia Fowles and you still got somebody like Nafisa who can get the ball down low and score in the post. And so there's a lot of like different ways that this team can win a ball game. What I don't know is if you're in the final two minutes of a close game against Seattle and, you know, do we have somebody that can take over? Yeah, I, I don't think we do. I don't think that's what we're missing that Maya Moore piece who you knew the ball was going to her and you knew she was going to take the last stop and you dared him to stop her, you know, and I don't think we have that player right now on our roster. And I don't think that's ever necessarily been Lynx basketball either. You know, since Cheryl Reeves been there, you know, it's tough defense and, you know, and, and good ball movement and, and hit the open shot. And she's got players now that can hit threes. I just think it's kind of coming together and I really like where they're headed. So, and 12 and three, you know, it's with my uh, Brooklyn center high school math. I think that's 80%. So <laughs> go Brooklyn center. What was the ma- What was the mascot? The centaurs. That's the worst mascot I've ever heard. Oh, that you're not even close. Okay. It's in the top 10. <laughs> I mean, it's not even close to as bad as, say, like the Wildcats or something. That was my high my well, my high school until '92, and then there was a tornado, and so we absorbed two other schools and had to change. But my mom grew up a Wildcat, so I'm going to let her know how you feel about her. And you, no, I was going with with Nova. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, my I wasn't mother. even thinking. I didn't know where you went to high school. Yeah, well, I thought we were friends. I know, but we mostly, you know, talk. College basketball, <laughs> not your your high school glory days. Okay, yeah, I was a I was the menace. That was my nickname. I was a Drew Holiday. Nice. Um, so we were talking about Maya Moore, and I I don't think we can mention the links with without mentioning the documentary that came out recently on Netflix, um, called Breakaway, which features the story of Maya Moore stepping away from the game of basketball after she'd been a three time high school state champion a four-time Final Four finalist, twice winning the championship alongside Tina Charles at UConn, a four-time WNBA champion, a two-time gold medalist for the USA women's team, and in 2000 away, she steps away from the game. And what drove her to do this, Alex? You watched the documentary as well, I think. I did. Um, and, and at the time, it just seemed, now that we know why? Um, but it was this incredible moment, and, and people were wondering, is she up, upset with the links or whatever? But she, she went to help get a family friend out of prison who had been, um, and there's frankly way too many stories of this, but had been wrongly accused, then convicted, and been in prison for 23 years? I think that's right. Um, and and so she just felt like, I got to do this. It's more important. And you know, watching the thing and listening to her, you know, talk about her faith and all the other things that putting basketball in perspective, you know, I, I posted something on Facebook and said, you know, I, I really would selfishly like to see her play basketball again, but she's still winning. I mean, she's one and out, you know, um, in, in the criminal justice system. So, you know, and then she marries the guy, you know, by the way, if Michael Jordan ever needs a stuntman, um, for a movie, Jonathan Irons could be it because he looks and sounds just like him. <laughs> he does. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, what an amazing love story, you know? And, and so I think, you know, you know, they're doing this, but I, you know, they started a foundation to look at these issues. I learned a lot just about prosecutorial misconduct and un- not understanding that it's not even, you know, 
a thing. You can't, I mean, they screw up all the time and sometimes on purpose, but you can't necessarily use that um, in a court of law that, you know, they just flat out lied about something. And so how do we change that law to, to help get a lot of innocent people out of prison that never should have been there? And it, it reminds me a lot of policing too. Like there's a lot of efforts going on nationally to like, look at if there's misconduct, like, you know, like there are laws that essentially allow police officers in many cases, you know, that maybe make poor choices to not ever face prosecution. And right. it, same thing here, you know? So I, I think we, we both acknowledge that there needs to be change in the system. What's really interesting is that an athlete at the height of her career is willing to step away from, from everything, from the money, although the money's not great in the WNBA, uh, the fame, you know, the, the accolades, and, and here she is doing what she feels best. And there's just such a rare human element about her that makes you like remember what's important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it was just so clear throughout the documentary. Um, I was trying to think of other players that had done this, certainly not for this reason, but Barry Sanders left early. Jim Brown left early. Um, and, and I don't know if I can come up with any more guys. I mean, they had their careers ended early because of, you know, injuries or whatever, but just Robert Smith. True. Um, although he was injured in that last game, but it likely would have come back. Um, yeah, but not many people that are willing to step away and, and to certainly not for a social issue, you know, and for an issue of love, ultimately what it became. So yeah, yeah, if you haven't watched it, check that, that documentary out some free publicity here for Netflix, but really well done. I thought the, um, it was a, no, was it on Netflix or was it on 30 for 30 ESPN? It was on ESPN scratch that. So that that's a great documentary series on, on ESPN. So, um, with, with the talk about the, the, um, Minnesota Lynx and Maya Moore, and of course, we have two Olympians from the Lynx that are joining the, the USA squad, Collier and Sylvia Fowles. Um, but there's also some other um, Minnesotans that are going to be representing the United States in, in Tokyo. And I know, Alex, you saved the um, special Olympic section from the Star Tribune this Sunday. So um, what jumped out to you? Um, there, were, there were a couple of names that jumped out at me. One um, was Joe... Alex is literally like going through his his newspaper right now. Joe Klecker. Um, I, I, that name really struck a bell with me. I'm like, why do I know that name? And then I finally saw, well, his mom ran the the marathon in the Olympics in 1992. His dad is a, was a, I don't know if he's in the Olympics, but a world champion and has run ultra marathons. So this kid is, you know, born and bred to be a distance runner. He's out of Hopkins. So, you know. Well, uh, but but having a son that ran cross country and having run some marathons myself, uh, that one kind of jumped out at me a little bit. And I tried looking for some some different sports because to me that's the best thing about the Olympics. I mean, I, I watch the track and the swimming and of course the basketball. Um, but you know, last in five years ago, I think I watched more fencing than I've ever watched in my life, and it was amazing. You know, just how that all works, and you kind of just learn about stuff. But I didn't realize that BMX biking is in the Olympics. Did you? No, I had no idea until I saw that segment on Carrie Eleven last month. And I, I bet you're going to bring up um, Alice Willoughby from St. Cloud. That's her name. Yeah. And she's one of the best in the world. Yep. And, like, you know, I can remember when the first BMX bikes came out. That's how old I am, Dana. <laughs> um, you know, that kids put the little thing on their bicycles. Um, it had been around, you know, as a 
uh, motorcycles and stuff, but dirt bikes, you know, without a motor were kind of a new thing in the seventies. And now it's an Olympic sport. You know, I'm not exactly sure how they do it. If it's just a race through, you know, a tough course or what, but apparently she's really good. And her husband's really good too. He's coaching now, but that's how they met. Yeah. She got her. So she finished as a silver medalist in, in Rio in 2016 under a different name. So she got married between these two games. And this is actually her third Olympics because in 2012 in was 12 London or Beijing. I want to say London. London. Yeah. Yeah. She finished 12th in her inaugural. So um, she's a St. Cloud native and representing Minnesota um, on the BMX team. And I came across the name on my end, a native of Shoreview. There's somebody else you might know that's native of Shore. Well, who is living in Shoreview? There's actually two kids that went to Moundsview High School. Um, One's in sailing and the other, I think, is a gymnast. What's the Mounds View mascot? Mustangs. Okay. No Mustangs. Uh, no, Laura Dahlman Weiss is uh, in sailing, um, and they are sailing the the two person dinghy. Which <laughs> does that sound like a, like a street car in like in like in like Delhi? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Kyra Condi uh, is in uh, competitive climbing. So. There's it, climbing is a new sport at the Olympics this year. Um, there's only a four person team, two men, two women. Kyra Condi from one of the flattest states in the country, you know, <laughs> and, and where did she climb? She climbed at vertical endeavors in St. Paul. <laughs> Isn't that and a crazy story? That's where she got her beginning. Did you see the part where she had spinal fusion surgery too? I saw that. Yep. I'm like, wow. You know, that just, man, most people have a spinal fusion. They're just done forever. And she's climbing in the Olympics. Well, I can tell you those indoor climbing facilities um, are pretty, they're pretty, they can be intense, especially like the harder walls. I, I've only ever gone up on like on the like under 12 wall to the top <laughs> and I got to the top and my legs are shaking and I'm like, I just need to jump off and get down because it, it's, it's, I don't know if you've ever climbed before, but it, you know, if you're not used to it and you didn't grow up with it, but I watched, um, I went under her Instagram feed and I was watching her climb and like, it's it's incredible how fast and how dangerous the moves that they make are. Now, granted, I'm sure that there are safeties involved, but like what they're able to do and how quickly they're able to do it, it's, it's speed climbing. So that's something definitely to tune in for as well. And I agree with you. Like, like I don't think about the Olympics until they're on. And then once they're on, I can't take my eyes away from it. And even some of those more marginal sports that you think about once every four years. Well, and you can watch all of them because they have, you know, I don't know how many channels they have it on, four or five, six, whatever, but, and all hours of the day and night, you know, so you can check in on some of these sports that you've never had a chance to really see before. And I just think that's the funnest part of it. It's longer this year, right? It's like three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it goes into like almost mid-August. Yeah. It seems like they're probably stretching it out a little bit so they can deal with some of the COVID issues or whatever. But, but yeah, that always just seems pretty amazing. So. How are you feeling about the men's and women's um, uh, USA basketball teams? The women, I you know, I, I just caught a little bit of it. And, and it, I know they didn't have Tarasi, so that should make a difference. But they also don't have Maya. And and I feel like that is, uh, you know, they're missing that. With, with Sue Bird and Diana Tarasi being older, I don't know that they've got some older players and some younger players. And I don't feel like they have that, that middle group that's, you know, been around you know, and isn't just excited to be there. So. Yeah, well, they are a minus 1,400 favorite 
um, to win. <laughs> so they have an 89% chance of, of implied probability of capturing the gold. And we do, all of the players are in the NBA and, I think it would be a major upset if the, the U.S. women, um, did not bring home gold. I'm not saying it can't happen. Like there are a couple of teams out there, including Australia. Um, so, and we saw yesterday with the, um, women's soccer team, we're not invincible. Of course we knew this because they were knocked out in the quarters in Rio, but they lost 3-0 to the Swedes, um, in their first game in, in, in the group stage on the soccer pitch. Yeah. Fortunately it is a group stage or, uh, you know, they'd be done, be disappointing. But yeah, I think I think the women are probably bigger favorites than the men um, in basketball. They're just so good. Um, they're so dominant. They'll figure it out. Um, the men have me a little more nervous just with guys coming and going as much as they are. And now three more players are going to maybe make it in time for their first game and say just got done playing. I don't know if they're actually on the jet and on their way there yet. But, um, you know, you don't even have your whole team together before the first game in the Olympics. So, so question for you, if Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday and Devin Booker were all flying over on a jet together, what do you think that conversation was like? <laughs> Remember that time you followed me and they didn't call it? I, I'm well, sure there's a little bit of smack talk going on there. Well, Devin Booker got about eight calls um, per game that didn't get called. So he, he was playing with house money during a lot of the finals. But You mean where he fouled? Yeah, where he was should have been called for a foul. Oh, yeah, especially I almost texted you. There was one where it was just like he just shoved the guy and nothing got whistled. So he doesn't get to complain on the other end. We're only minus 400 favorites, and we went two and two in exhibition games. We lost two times, which I think – now, granted, like you got guys coming and going. Three of our better players aren't even there yet. But I just think about kind of the cycle and, you know, in 1988, what happens? We lose our amateurs, which provokes – you know, the U.S. Olympic Committee to demand pro athletes. The dream team comes in. We win gold in 92, 96, 2000. Then we finish third in 04 and third in 06 at the World Championships. They bring in Colangelo and Mike Krzyzewski, who take over in 05, the redeem team in 08, and then two more golds in 12 and 16. It kind of feels like with everything going on with COVID, guys that were supposed to be playing like Bradley Beal, who aren't. Um, and if the best you can do, down low is Kevin Love and JaVel McGee. You know, if we play against a team that's big, I, we might be get, we might get pushed around a lot because if you're going to play small ball Kevin Durant ball, that's great. But you know, yeah, they're they're for size. Um, yeah, I, I Kevin Love's gone, right? So, and JaVel McGee and, replaced him. Yeah, so I don't know how much of a replacement that is, but you would expect <laughs> those guys are pretty deep on the bench. But yeah, their best players are all seem to be perimeter players. Do you, have you heard if Levine's back yet? If he's going? No, I haven't. I haven't gotten an update there. Cause so. there was a question about whether he was going. You might even need more replacements. Um, so it's just, I, I know he went into the protocol. So I don't know if he's going to be playing or not. Um, if Beal was out, I don't know how Levine could be in. Yeah. If he's in the protocol, I bet he's out. That leaves Durant, Damian Lillard, um, Devin Booker, Jason Tatum. Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, Bam Adebayo, Draymond Green. That's your team. And and that should win? It but, should win. But you didn't say a center's name there. It didn't. I said JaVale McGee. Well, okay. <laughs> a good center. Well, Bam, um, Bam Adebayo can play the five. Oh, that's true. He's a five. Um, yeah. So so they can – I think they'll be fine. Um, and, and they should – I don't know what their, their grouping is like, um, but you would hope, you know – they should be able to get through that. And and check on 2004. I think I don't think we even got the bronze that year. I feel like we did worse than that. 
Did we get sixth? I think we were like sixth or seventh, something yeah. like that. It was that bad. That's you know. kind of what, but you know, here's the thing. In 88, when the, the, the final year of the amateurs playing, we lose, it provokes a big change, kind of a shakeup in the, and it, and I know that, you know, Steve Kerr and, and Greg Popovich are kind of an extension of what Mike Krzyzewski has done. Um, but Colangelo, I think this is his last Olympics. And so if we don't do well and we've won the last three golds, it might be time. I'm not saying I want to lose. But it seems like the circumstances are right with COVID, with guys coming and going, a lot of hero ball. Who's that guy like that they brought in from San Antonio? Um, oh, something Johnson. I'd never heard of him before. And I guess he, he did all right, but I mean, that's Popovich bringing in his guys. And it's like, it just feels like the kind of team that could easily be upset by a team that's really cohesive, that's got some NBA players and that have been playing together for a number of years. So Spain. Yeah, they might be a little long in the tooth. I think Australia. I mean, Spain's got some nice guys yet. They don't have the Gasol brothers and you know Ricky Rubio and that generation. I mean, but at their in their yeah. prime, Spain's a contender for sure. Yeah, um, and no, I guess Australia on more on the women's side than on the men's. No, but no, yeah. Australia's right there on the men's too. I mean, Patty yeah. Mills, the Patty Mills machine. Yeah, so it could easily happen. And I think you also have to – there's a couple other things to factor in. One, the season just got over. Normally, you know, they've had some time to play together, practice. You you know, they at least get a month or so versus a couple of weeks. And in some cases, no practice at all. So that's really screwed up. And I think there's just kind of this movement away, and we saw this in 2004. Guys just don't care that much about the Olympics, you know. They kind of go, they get their one time, and and then they don't come back and – until the Americans lose, and then they're like, you know what, we're supposed to be the best in the world at this sport, and then it, it usually, like the young guys coming up see that, and I think that's what, like, you know, the the 08 team and the 92 teams were loaded, in large part because, like, they felt the sting of not being the best. Right. Well, so. the 2000 team was pretty loaded, too. So. <laughs> well, all those teams from 92 to 2000 and 08 to 16 were pretty loaded. Yeah. Um, and, so. and this team has players. It's just, do they have time? I mean to really figure it out because it's, it's not the NBA, you know, the refs aren't going to give guys the calls that, you know, Dame Lillard's not going to get the calls that he gets, you know, in the NBA. So it's a different game and we'll see what happens. Um, but they have enough talent to get it done. They have offense and defense. It's, it's really just, can they gel in time? So, and remember, remember the dream team lost to the college kids in practice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was the last time they lost. That was the last time they lost. And apparently uh, he didn't play Michael Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> well, the opening ceremony for the Tokyo 2020 in 21 Olympics is tomorrow night, Friday, July 23rd. Um, so if you, you haven't already thought about tuning in, number of Minnesotans to cheer for. And it should be fun the next the next three weeks or so. Anything uh, before we close out the pod, Alex, that you want to say as a first-time guest? No, this was a lot of fun. Um you know, I've, I've been an unofficial, official executive producer since the pod came around. So it's nice to, you know, be a part of this. Hopefully, Isaac, you can come back soon because, uh, you know, I'm old. I'm, I'm getting cranky. He's opening up newspapers during the pod. Yeah, I actually have newspapers here. So, you know, maybe the younger generation is, is smarter than some of us old guys. But thanks for having me on. Well, do you think you can take us out? Sure. Go Lynx, go Twins, go U.S. Olympic team. 
All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining us on the pod today. And we should be back in the next week or two with Cousin Isaac. And stay safe out there.